Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Church. We're so glad that you're joining us. Would you stand with us as we worship our victorious God this morning? The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to try us.
us. Thank you, Father. You said it, and we believe it. Let's lift up our voices today. There is. 
that you never change. That you, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's you that we worship right now in this place.
cry out to him. You're the same God. You're the same God. No, you never change. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come and fill. yesterday, today, and forever. Now, though things in the world will change, in fact, things in this life will fade away, what doesn't is you. So whatever our circumstances may be, whatever our situations are like, even what this world, our nation, our city, Whatever may be going on, we can put our faith in knowing that you are still faithful. That you still want us. That you're still for us. That you're still with us. That you still love us. Even when we're unfaithful even when we're not perfect, even in our mistakes and circumstances, you remain the same. So Lord, we thank you for being the God that you are. And Lord, right now, as we pray for our tithes and offerings, we pray for that, Lord, as we give unto you so that more and more people would come to receive you, that they would come to know the God that we know one that never changes. And Lord, as we give unto you, Lord, we know that we get to partner with you to reaching those far from you so that they would experience and encounter you and all that you have for them. Lord, would you just continue to open our hearts this morning and continue to speak and to continue to fill us with everything that you are and remind us again we love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Welcome to New Hope Church. We're so glad that you're joining us. Just letting you know, those are the four ways that we have that you can give online. If you're here in person, you can also have, we also have our tithe and offering boxes located in the back. But it's such a great time where we get to spend together. Before you have a seat, would you turn to somebody? You can throw shaka. You can give them a hug. You can just let them know it's going to be an awesome day because we get to grow together and know more about our God. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Woo. Well, we are excited because there's a lot of great things happening here at New Hope. 
And so we want to just let you know, for some of you, this may be your first time here. And if that's you, we want to say welcome. We hope that you enjoy your, your day here at New Hope Church. For those of you, maybe this is your first time coming back, you know, with all the crazy things that's been going on in this season. And if that's you, we want to say welcome home. And for all of you who are joining online, we're so glad you're joining us online. We love you guys, and we're so grateful that you're with us here today. Uh, for those of you who are here today uh, live with us in person, we want to just let you know that we have what we have available for you guys. Uh, we have our fellowship hall, which is this building located right here, which is where you can find the restrooms. We also have a kitchen where you can purchase breakfast. Just letting you know, today's breakfast, I already didn't check, was local moco. Bugga was mean. If you don't know what bugga was mean, it was really good. That's, that's translation, okay? And then we also have our well, uh, which has our smoothies and sandwiches and drinks and snacks that you can also purchase there. And we also have an amazing resource center where you can find books and Bibles to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Now, if you have kids uh, and you're wondering, what about kids? We do have our children's and youth wing located in the building over here. where We have all the way from preschool to elementary to junior high and high school. And then we also have our, our nursery right here located off the sanctuary. where We have a nursing mother's room, and that's for babies to two years old. So that's what we have here today. And then we want to just let you know we have some awesome things coming up, such as Sunday, June 19th. It is Father's Day. Fathers, so don't worry, dads, we got you guys covered. We're going to celebrate, we're going to honor, because we, we celebrate an honored Mother's Day, uh, honored moms on Mother's Day, and we're going to do the same thing for dads on June 19th. And so I was told to share what we're going to have. And so we're going to actually have, a, there's a change in breakfast. So we're going to actually have a breakfast burger with burger, cheese, bacon, and a fried egg. All on, all on top of the Punalu sweet bread roll. Sorry, I was just thinking about it. I was just imagining it, and I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> and then we're going to have chips, and then we're also going to have apple crisp a la mode. Now you're, now you, and this is for everybody, right? This is, this is what it's going to be breakfast the whole morning. And then also, we're going to have our courtyard, which is going to have a, a bunch of activities for dads and families so moms, you guys are including this too, okay? But it's for dads and families. All the families who take, uh, take part in, we're going to have, uh, I was trying to do the real axe throwing, but somebody said, hey, you might, do, you might not want to do that with kids around. So I was like, ah. So we're going to do foam axe throwing so nobody gets hurt. We also have uh, the cornhole, which is the beanbag toss. We have a couple of putting greens that we're going to have out there. And we're going to have laser tag for the whole family to take part in, okay? So... I know you guys are like, ah, oh, they dress up like really nice for church, but you make sure if you dress up nice, you also make sure you can move around so you can, you know, participate. And then we're going to also have some really awesome giveaways just for dads. We're going to be giving away a couple rounds of golf to Nani Loa Golf Course. We also have the village at Waikolo who blessed us with another round of golf. Uh, we also are going to be giving away two Sig Zane t-shirt, uh, not t-shirt, sorry, two Sig Zane shirts just for dads. A bunch of other, uh, a bunch of other restaurants and other local businesses have partnered with us just to celebrate dads on Father's Day. And what's the best part about it is, as we celebrate dads, we celebrate families, and most of all, we celebrate God. Amen. So it's just going to be an awesome time. And then also in July, just giving you guys a heads up because I know some of you were asking. So just letting you know, in July, we are going to have water baptism down at Coconut Island. We'll give you guys more details when the actual, uh, I believe the date is July 24th. Yeah! Alright, so it's going to be at 
I wasn't sure if we are going to have a slide, my bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be at 1230 at Coconut Island. It's going to be an awesome time where we get to just celebrate what God is doing in the lives of his people. And if you want more information about that, be sure to ask one of us. You can stop at the Information Center. You can even go onto our app and, and ask there. Just ask. And you can even email. Ask at Nuhopilo, and we'll get back to you. But this morning, Pastor... Marsha is going to be giving the message. And before she gets up here, we are so blessed because our hula ministry and our worship team is going to come up and perform a special just for you. So would you welcome with me our hula ministry?
Today we get to hear from our very own Pastor Marsha Krieger. And if you think about this season, or even the seasons we've been through, we can come out of it with a grumbling spirit, or we can come out of it with a grateful spirit, a thankful spirit, one that looks forward to what God is going to do in our lives, and a spirit that looks forward to what God is doing today. Like, What can we, we be grateful for today? What, what can we look forward to today? And what are some things that God has already done that we can say to Him, that's enough for me, and I'm, I'm resting in your care, that your grace is sufficient. Well, as we prepare our hearts and as Pastor Marsha shares with us the Word of God, may we take some notes, let's put to our, our memory what God is speaking to us, and then let's apply what He's saying to us so that we as the community of God can impact the world for Him. So Pastor Marsha, let's hear the Word of God together. Well, thank you, Pastor Sheldon. And can we thank the worship team and the whole team one more time? Like that song is on my playlist over and over. You know, if we were to look back 2,000 plus years and talk about that time when Jesus ascended into heaven, because that's what that song is about. It's when he commissioned them before he went to heaven. And we think about that time. It's easy to look back 2,000 years and see it like this big giant pep rally. But was it? Like, is that really what happened? Because Matthew tells us a little bit different story. See, Matthew was a tax collector who became one of Jesus' disciples. And he walked with Jesus. He lived in community with him. He was mentored by him. He witnessed Jesus' horrifying death on the cross. But he also talked and interacted with Jesus after he was resurrected. And this is how Matthew describes the day Jesus ascended. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. That's the pep rally that we all think about. But some doubted. Like, I never caught that. Some were actually at this place, and they are doubting. And like I said, it's easy to look back 2,000 years and form an opinion about what's going on. But let's just pause for a moment and see it from the eyes of those who are actually there. Because from Matthew's perspective, his experience with Jesus was a roller coaster ride. During that time, he saw Jesus welcome people, love people, heal them, embrace them. But he also heard Jesus teach things that were offensive to the people of their time. For instance, the Jewish people did not want to hear that they should pay their taxes to Rome. They wanted deliverance from Rome. And yet Jesus taught them to pray for their enemies and worse yet, turn the other cheek. They didn't want to be instructed to forgive at all costs. They were oppressed and they wanted deliverance. See, the common people were drawn to Jesus. The religious leaders hated him and the Romans were suspicious of him. And then to top it off, Matthew heard Jesus even predict his own death and resurrection. Jesus had told them, the disciples, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, 
that he was going to be killed, and then on the third day that he would rise again. And you'll find that in Matthew if you want to read it. And just a little week prior to Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey to the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, praise to the king. See, for Matthew and the rest of the followers, this was it. This was the day. They wanted a kingdom here on earth. They wanted to be set free from Roman rule and oppression. This is the day. Jesus is coming in to do it. And a little bit over a week later, just like he said would happen, Jesus was betrayed. And he was crucified. And he was mocked and beaten before that. And after his death, his followers were despondent. They were lost. They were frightened. And they were defeated. And then three days later, Mary comes running to them and says, Hey, we just saw Jesus. He's alive. And then for 40 days after that, according to the Bible, he appeared and gave them convincing proof that he was alive. And finally, finally, Jesus takes them to the hillside where he commissions them to go out into the world and make disciples. And then Matthew and the believers had another emotional upheaval because while they're talking to Jesus, all of a sudden, just like that, he's gone in a cloud. And they're standing there and they're looking. And two angels appear and go, what are you looking at? He's coming back the same way. See, the disciples knew that in spite of Jesus saying, hey, you go out into the world and you make disciples, that it would be very dangerous. Because Rome and the religious leaders had not changed their opinion on Jesus' message. It still wasn't welcome, and it was still dangerous to tell it. And yet, 2,000 plus years later, here we are telling Jesus' message. How did they do that? How did they take a message that was unpopular, take a message that the leaders did not want to get out, take a message that cost their leader his life and could cost them their life, how did they do that? How did they take this wildly offensive, dangerous, unpopular with the leadership message and get it and pass it on? Well, what they saw and experienced was undeniable. Their formerly dead rabbi gave them instructions and then he left in the clouds to go um, build the kingdom he had told them about. It's a kingdom that he promised he would bring them to. It was a kingdom that wasn't here on earth. And all of a sudden, their desire for a kingdom on earth wasn't important anymore. They were living for something much bigger. They'd had a mind-blowing experience and they couldn't not share it. It was undeniable, and it empowered them to go and tell. And so how did they do it? How did they do as Jesus commanded and go and tell? And better yet, how can you and I, who are not under threat of life and limb, able to go and share the gospel? Well, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Start where I am. In Luke's account of Jesus' commissioning his followers, he recorded Jesus saying this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, they were instructed to start right where they were in Judea and then spread out to Samaria and the rest of the world. And that's exactly what they did. They told their story, their experience right where they were. 
And because Jesus' story and his message threatened the status quo, they were persecuted and they had to leave their homes, they had to leave their towns, they had to leave their villages, and they had to go out. And everywhere that they went, they told the story. They shared Jesus' message, they shared their life. And that's how we're expected to do it. We're supposed to start right where we are, in our homes, in our schools, where we work, in our gyms where we exercise, with our friends and family. We tell our story. We tell Jesus' message, and we live it in such a way that people hear it, believe it, and are changed by it. We start small, and we watch our influence and impact grow from there. Now, sometimes when we talk about making disciples, it's really easy to say, let's let the um, missionaries do that. Let's let the pastors do that. Let's let the staff do that. Let's let the professionals do it. I have a daughter who, every time we have a family gathering, every time we have a family gathering, and we say, okay, who's going to pray for the food? She always says, you and dad, you guys are the professionals. And that's funny over food, and it's funny in a family setting, but that is not what we do with the gospel. See, every single one of us, every one of us is called. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting here in the sanctuary, if you're there online, or if you're going to watch this a few weeks later. We're all called to make disciples. And it's not something that we save for professionals. And a disciple is really simple. It's a, a disciple is someone who learns from or follows someone else. So basically, we're disciples of Jesus. And then Jesus said, you be my disciples, and then you make others disciples. And what we do is we lead them to follow Jesus the same way we do. A few months back, I was in a cohort on how to make disciples. And the teacher, Jessie Cruikshank, said something that totally changed the way I view discipleship. And she said that. She says, everyone disciples someone. You should write that down. Everyone disciples someone. See, discipleship it's a, is a journey. It's not a destination that we get to. We don't just one day arrive and we're discipling. It's something we live. And on this journey, we're ahead of some people, but we're also behind others. And so I should be taking somebody along, and I should be discipling them with what I know. At the same time, I should be following someone else, and they should be discipling me with what they know. But in the old paradigm, what we did is you said, I, I received Jesus, and then you went to a discipleship class, and you learned how to disciple. And then when you graduated the class, you were able to disciple. But that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus took 12 men, and they followed him. They walked closely with him. They ate with him. They watched what he did. They traveled together. They did ministry together. They interacted with each other, and they interacted with crowds. And in all of that, he was discipling them, preparing them for what he had ahead. And for, for Jesus, discipleship happened through relationship in everyday life. That's why we say here, discipleship is anytime, any place, anywhere. It's something that's done in relationship. Pastor Wayne Cordero, who actually grew this church from about 30 people to 1,200, was speaking at a conference once. And while he's at the conference, he's talking, he's talking about discipleship, and then he says this, how many of you in this room are full-time ministers? And he said about a third of the people raised their hands, and he just sat there for a while, and he let it settle. And then he said this, if God wants to reach someone who won't come to church, how's he going to do it? 
Because we know those people, right? We say to our friends and family, hey, come to church with me. And they go, ah, nah, nah. That's good. You go. That's good for you. That's not good for me. But God still wants to reach them. So how's he going to do that? Well, if you're a teacher and you love Jesus, he's going to take you and put you in a school with other teachers. And you're going to love Jesus so much and live your life just like Jesus, which means you love others. And you're going to reach that person. Same thing if you're a student, whether you work in a grocery store, whether you work at an ice cream shop, Starbucks, police officer, wherever it is. God is not sending pastors in there to chase people down with the Bible and read scripture to them. He's sending you right where you are to love Jesus and live just like him. And then Pastor Wayne says, he's sending you. And then he said, he then said to the audience, now, how many of you are full-time ministers? And everybody raised their hand because all of us are called to make disciples. It is not for the professionals because we're all professionals. Here's what Jesus said to, um, here's what Jesus' follower Peter wrote. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, we're chosen. We're all professional because we're all a priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's special possession. Why? So that we can declare his praises. And you and I are on assignment. We're called to bring his message into all the world. And that world starts right here, right where we are. Tony Dungy, who's a football coach, wrote this. We can be great witnesses to others by trying to serve the Lord in whatever we do, treating others with the same grace that God has given us, demonstrating our love through actions, respecting others' views, setting the example of Christ, using our words to share the truth. And isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he treat others with love and value? Didn't he demonstrate through his actions how important they are? And by doing that, it worked. Because the people who were least like Jesus were drawn to him. They followed him. They wanted to be near him. So much so that the religious leaders grumbled and they said, hey, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And that's the challenge God wants us to face. We should be hanging out with the people that everybody thinks we shouldn't be hanging out with. We should be loving the people that nobody else thinks is important. And people should look at that and go, why are you with them? That's because I followed Jesus, and that's what Jesus did. See, what drew people to Jesus was the way he lived, the way he loved them, the way he accepted them, and the way he treated them. And if you're taking notes, the second point is that, love outrageously. That's exactly what Jesus did. He loved others in his culture that people wouldn't love and, in fact, didn't have to love. And that's what he wants for you and I. He says he wants us known for our love, for making others feel valued, important, for making others feel seen and noticed. Jesus said it best when he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He didn't say our knowledge would do it. He didn't say that our opinions would do it. He didn't even say that our good behavior would do it. He said our love for one another. And do you know that this love that God commands us to have flipped an entire empire and changed culture? 
I'm in the middle of reading Andy Stanley's new book. It's not in it to win it. Now, if you're reading it, you're going to recognize some of what I'm saying because I don't talk as well as he does, so I borrowed a lot. And he says this. He knows that we know that the Jewish people hated being under the Roman government. Now, what we don't understand is how skewed the culture was to the rich and powerful. So it was commonly accepted in those days that some people were born to own others, while other people were born to be owned. And this fact was born out through their history, through culture, through personal experience. And their whole economy was built on this fact. It was known that men were far superior to women, which gave room for a double standard in marital faithfulness, skewed towards the men, of course. And probably the worst is infanticide was legal. And basically, infanticide was after your baby was born, if it was a girl and you didn't want a daughter, because that was another mouth to feed and girls weren't worth much, or there was something wrong with the baby, or you just didn't want the baby, then you could take this baby and leave it by the river or leave it out somewhere, and you could walk away, and there was nothing wrong with it because babies and children were not valuable. Society and culture were skewed to the most powerful. And yet Jesus called his followers not to overcome that culture, but to be better people in it, to love others, all others, including your enemies, including those that are different from you, including those in power over you. In his book, Andy Stanley wrote, they adopted Jesus' new covenant command as a way of life. It wasn't a reference point. It was a context for everything. Most noticeable, it informed their response to suffering theirs as well as the suffering of those around them. The Jesus movement was characterized by uncharacteristic compassion, generosity, selflessness, and boldness. Boldness not born of arrogance, but fueled by confidence. Boldness fueled by concern for those who had not yet heard the good news of what God had done on behalf of the world. So what changed the world wasn't words. It was action. It was the action of loving others no matter what. And shortly after Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be killed, and that he would be resurrected, he gave them a new command. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And they understood and experienced that as I have loved you. Peter experienced restoration after denying Jesus while witnessing him being beaten and mocked. Matthew experienced acceptance and purpose after being called out of a life of extortion as a tax collector. Nathaniel doubted anything good could come out of Jesus' hometown, and yet he was still invited to follow Jesus and walk with him. Eleven of the disciples experienced grace after running in fear when Jesus was arrested. And those same disciples learned about loving others as they walked with him. The woman caught in adultery, Mary Magdalene, a prostitute whose life was changed forever, a woman with a blood disease that made her unclean and unwanted, a Roman military officer whose servant was dying, Zacchaeus, who Jesus called out of a tree and said, hey, I'm going to your house for dinner, lepers, blind men, and society's rejects. See, Jesus' followers knew what Jesus' love looked like, and they knew what he called them to. And in a society and culture designed to crush that kind of love, they did it, 
And Jesus' movement continued to grow. In his book, 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson writes, the society produced by Christianity was far less barbaric than the pagan, even the Roman ones it replaced. It objected to infanticide, to prostitution, and to the principle that might means right. It insisted that women were as valuable as men. It demanded that even a society's enemies be regarded as human. All of this was asking the impossible, but it happened. Do you know when Nero was persecuting the Christians? Do you know how they knew who the Christians were? They just watched how they lived their lives. The Christians were the ones who valued and honored their wives and children. They were the ones who were loving society's rejects. So when Nero wanted to persecute the Christians, they were easy. They stood out. But they stood out because they loved others just as they had been loved. And a small group of powerless men experienced something life-altering, and against all odds, they began to live outrageously. Wherever they were, they not only told Jesus' story, but they lived out his command to love and to value others, all others. And people were so impacted by their actions that they began to follow suit. And I believe that we can do that right now. That if we were to start living sacrificially, the way that Jesus calls us to love, that if we were to shift our focus off of what I want, what I believe, and what I think, to what is best for all, that will impact the world. Because really, when I look at my life, and probably when you look at yours, don't we have everything we need? Now, what if we began to take Apostle Paul's advice? And he wrote in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what if we sacrificially started loving others and putting our needs and our opinions under theirs? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a friend's house. We were celebrating Passover. And what Passover is, is for the Jewish people, they celebrate when God took them out of Egypt and delivered them from slavery. And so they celebrate the Passover. And while I was there, I heard this word. It was really cool. It's da'inu. Now, da'inu is a Hebrew word. And it means it would have been enough. It signifies contentment. And I want to explain it to you as well as I can, but I really can't. So I asked Susie Chun, who grew up as a Jewish person and is now a Messianic believer, to explain to us what Dayano means. So if we can watch the screen. Susie, thank you so much for meeting with me today. You know, when it comes to Jewish traditions or things that I want to know more about like that, I always come to you. You know, you're like the person that I, I know that is so passionate about it. I, I love to share about these things, so thank you for asking me. All right, so today we're going to be asking you about Dainu. Now, I know there's a song called Dainu, yes. right? What is it, like, what does it describe? What is it about? Why is it so special? It is a very special song. And what Dainu is, is a song that is sung at every Passover. I grew up from the time I can remember singing this song at the annual Passover Seder. It comes right before you're going to eat, usually, which is, was always a good sign for us. But what the song Dainu, the Hebrew word Dainu means, it would have been enough. 
or it would have been sufficient. That's what the word means. It's a song about gratitude. And I always say at Passover Seders that I lead, it's the one time of the year that my people are not grumbling. They're thanking God because, oh, no more manna, no more. He took us out of Egypt to make us die in the desert. And the song is the opposite of that. It says, if you had taken us out of Egypt, Dianu, it would have been enough. Wow. Okay. So with that, what is it to live a Dainu life? Dainu life. What does that mean? A Dainu life is one where you are thankful for what God puts in front of you. It's not a life of asking, asking. It's a life of being content and being grateful. And I think one of the things, I know one of the things is that in each of the Hebrew uh, appointed times, or actually God's appointed times, there's a time of remembering what God did and teaching that to your children. So I'm a prime example from the time I was a little, little girl. We sang that song with, yes, Lord, if you had only taken us out of Egypt, Dainu, if you had only parted the Red Sea, Dainu, it would have been enough. And so for us now, for me now, it's, okay, Lord, whatever your hand puts before me, Dainu, it's sufficient, it's enough. Wow. So I guess, you know, when they, they have that saying that happiness is not getting what you want, but being happy with what you have. Exactly. That's the heart of Diana. I love that. Thank yeah. you so much. Sure. So thank you, Pastor Kat and Susie. So Diana, whatever has happened to me to this point, Diana, it's sufficient. Now, can you imagine what people around the world would see if we lived grateful and contented lives instead of always asking, asking, asking? And that's our third point. Live a Dainu life. See, we live a Dainu life when we're grateful for what God has done and is doing in our lives. It's that tension between, thank you, God, for what you've done so far, but I know, God, that you're great and you're good and you can do more and you want to, and you're living in that tension. There's an Old Testament um, account of three Hebrew boys. They were brought out of um, Israel and they brought into Babylon as um, slaves. And in their slavery, they actually kind of rose to positions of authority. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even though they're slaves, they get into this position of authority. But the king one day says, hey, I built this huge um, idol. It's in the plains here. We're all going to gather and at the sound of music, everybody's going to bow down and worship this idol. Except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Hebrew boys and there's only one God. And it wasn't that idol. So they're standing in the plains with all these people and the music plays and all these people bow and then you see three people still standing. Well, the king gets wind of it. He gets mad and he calls them up and he questions them and he says, hey, I have this command I'm your king, and you're going to bow. And they're like, nope. So he gets mad. He says, I'm going to give you one last chance. You're going to bow and worship this idol. And if you don't, you're going into the fiery furnace. And here's what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Dianu. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego lived this life. Lord God, what you've done so far is good. 
Yes, I'm a slave, but I am a slave in position of authority. Couldn't have been happened if it wasn't for you, God. And if this protection that you've given me, and this is as far as you've gotten me, it is sufficient. We're going to continue to trust you, no matter what. And that decision made an impact on a kingdom and a king. Because when they were in the furnace, God stepped in. And it changed the king. And this is what he says in Daniel 3.29. The king says, Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they be cut into pieces and their house be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save this way. See, the ability of three Hebrew young men to live within the tension of, God, you've done enough. I know you can do more, but Daino, you've done enough. Impacted the nation. It impacted a king. Years later, a small handful of powerless, unimportant, troublesome men who walked with and learned to love from Jesus went out and told their story. They told the story of Jesus wherever they escaped to as society's leaders continued to reject and try to shut down the message. They loved outrageously, even when it was unpopular and weak. And the changed lives were so evident that others took notice and began to follow them. And eventually, an entire empire flipped upside down and they completely changed not just their culture, but every culture to come. And that is exactly what you and I are called to. We're not called to overturn this culture. We're called to be better in it. And as we're living better in it, it'll flip. We can do that. We're called to do that. We have to do that. And it starts right here. And it starts with love. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much. Thank you for calling us, for inviting us to be part of your kingdom, but more than that, for giving us the assignment to go out and live a life that is so outrageously different from everyone else's. A life that loves others, even those that we disagree with, even those that we don't understand, that we love those that are rejected, but we're loving them because you first loved us. So Lord, give us that power. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to go out and love just as we've been loved. And as we love others, Lord God, may it turn our culture around. And may people come to know you as our sovereign king, our Lord, our Savior, and our deliverer. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday. We'll see you on Father's Day and at baptism next month. God bless. See the world in life, bursting in living color.